0: All right, Village. So, just Tony, just me here today. Those was weird talking in the third person. Uh, some of our uh, pastoral staff have gotten back from Lebanon. They're quite busy uh, in, in getting resituated and reacclimated to the life and happenings here at Village. And so, for potentially the next couple of segments, it's going to be just me talking directly to you. Um, it was such a joy and a privilege to be preaching to our church family this past Sunday. And some of you uh, wonderfully sent in some questions, some comments for clarification, and uh, just all-around encouragement, and it's been such a blessing to receive that from you. And so I thought today I'd take some time just addressing some of our uh, questions or comments. One of the comments I received was, Tony, I'm tracking with you in regards to uh, being saved by grace. But in Ephesians, isn't there a passage that says we're saved by grace through faith? So what Pastor Paul has preached and what I've preached is we're saved by grace and not by our faith. If you uh, listen to uh, the sermon from this past Sunday, I, I, I say explicitly, that uh, we are saved not in the first person, not by what I believe, not by what I've done, not by who I am, but we're saved in the third person, by what he has done, he being Jesus. Um, And so in that same vein, that same principle, when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, the verse that was mentioned was uh, verse 8. It's saying, and I'm reading from the NIV, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. So even that verse, whatever our salvation is, whatever it means to be saved, it is by grace. And then our response through faith, there is a component of participation. But by faith, And it's a gift from God, is what that last uh, section of the verse says. But then if we go back up further in the passage of Ephesians 2, if I could start in verse 4 for us. This is what the Apostle Paul says. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy... Oh, sorry, I got lost, uh, God who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so Paul, the apostle, emphasizes for us that you and I were dead in our sins, we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead in our religion, we were dead in our politics, we were dead in our preferences, and the list goes on. Uh, But God, by grace, made us alive, raising us from the dead despite our trespasses. And so here are a couple of resources that I think may be helpful for us. Um, There's a wonderful book right here, Justification, by biblical scholar and theologian and pastor N.T. Wright. And he goes through uh, what it means for us to be justified, to be saved. He covers Ephesians and Galatians. Galatians is also another Paul line uh, epistle or letter from the Apostle Paul that talks about what it means to be saved by grace. Um, Another Excuse me, biblical uh, scholar that would be helpful for you if you're interested in diving deeper into this topic is J. Uh, Lou Martin. He has a wonderful book called Theological Issues in the Letters of Paul, uh, which I have a copy of here. And then his seminal text, uh, it's a commentary on the book of Galatians. Both of these books give a great uh, overview of the issues we're facing in the letter of Galatians as to how it relates to what it means for us to be saved by grace. And then what it means for us to have participation in God's working kingdom, in breaking kingdom here and now. And that's the faith component. I I recently uh, read... uh, on Twitter as one does. Um, A theologian quoting another theologian, I feel like that's what Twitter's good for, um, saying um, whatever our faith is, our faith is not a a component of our being saved, or God's uh, graceful gift of salvation is therefore in vain. And I think that's that's a wonderful articulation of the free gift that God gives us in His grace, that yes, there is a necessity, a responsibility, a stewardship of our faith that requires our participation, but if it requires anything on our end to be saved, then in some ways, God's grace is in vain. Now, I I want to be careful to say that uh this is a a tradition a a line of interpretation in our faith so of course there are varying uh interpretations so by no means to uh, I want to impose that and say this is the one and only uh, uh, interpretation given unto the saints for all of time. But I'd like to submit to us, and I believe Pastor Paul would like to submit to us, that this is a valid and, and um, appropriate uh, line of interpretation that we'd invite you, villagers, to seek out for yourself. Some other books that may be helpful uh, uh a giant tome here by Duke, a biblical scholar and theologian, Douglas Campbell, called The Deliverance of God. In AAF, we've, we've um, talked about this uh, book before, but uh, Campbell also goes through issues of justification. And he covers Ephesians and Galatians and other Pauline um, uh, letters in this book. And it's a wonderful book. Tome, um, if you have some free time, you know, in between now and Jesus' return, if you wanted to flip through some pages. And then this wonderful collection of essays by uh, theologian and scholar Chris Tilling from the UK, who offers um, a collection of essays from other biblical scholars and theologians in response to Douglas Campbell, and it's called Beyond Old and New Perspectives on Paul, uh, N.T. Wright being a proponent of the new perspective, um, and really talking about justification, what it means to be righteous, uh, to be justified before God. So I know that might be a lot for some of you, um, but I, I'd hope that you feel encouraged uh, to think deeply and widely about our faith. Uh, to one know that our faith and our salvation uh, is secure because of who Jesus is and so there's a wide berth for us to learn uh, to to submit to more learned people in humility but then also wrestle with one another as we really put our hand to the plow and and grow in our faith um, so that that's what uh, I, I I have to offer to us in um, that comment about what does it mean to be saved by grace through faith, whether it be from Ephesians or Galatians. Another comment uh, that I received that I think might be helpful for us to wrestle with or unpack a bit further is, what do we do about secularism? Um, So from the sermon this past Sunday, I I quoted Harvard theologian Harvey Cox in his book, The Secular City, where he talks about secularization as a historical process by which uh, the authority granted to the church or uh, held by the church is then transferred over to the public. Um, And so we see that initially with schools and hospitals, organizations, or institutions that used to be under the tutelage or the oversight of the church now being transferred over to the public. And so it's a historical process, something that we can observe throughout history, not something that we necessarily need to be alarmed by. Um, but then where danger lurks or danger can be found um, is secularism. A, a Newfound religion of sorts that locks the church out of the public. So secularization is not something you and I need to be afraid of or alarmed by. It's just been a historical process as the church transfers power in certain areas, or authority, if you will, a a softer word for power to public administration, to public oversight. Uh, now we see secularism, really a combative um, ideology, worldview, if you will, um, so, social imaginary, if you will, a, a combative um, uh, way of thinking that really uh, is antagonistic towards the church and and religion and faith in general, and tries to keep uh, the church out of. Public affairs, or uh, out of things that once were under church um, oversight, and and I say I brought that up to us because as disciples, you and I aren't called to be afraid of secularism because perfect love casts out all fear. Uh, we aren't called to be fearful of secularism, but we need to be aware of. Uh, what is out in the world, if you will, out in society, so that we can be better disciples, so we can be better lovers of God and lovers of people. Because, Village, here's the, the, really, the train tracks or the pathway that uh, I was trying to lead us down. If we know that our salvation, our being saved, is fully secure, and that you and I don't have to work that we don't have to earn it and it's not by any merit or anything that we do that we earn to be saved that shapes and conditions the way we live in the world. And the world is then no longer filled with enemy combatants. It's no longer filled with uh, boogeymen or or, uh, spooky traps to ensnare us but rather we realize that the world is a dying place, but a place that God loves and God is for. And therefore secularism in a way can be seen as rebellion against God and trying to keep God in the church outside, but it's not something that can prevent us from being faithful disciples. Therefore people who are proponents of secularism, who are proponents, who are advocates of keeping the church out, aren't are enemies, but rather they are people meant to be loved, people meant for you and I to live into our fullest testimony and our fullest witness. And so secularism, once again, uh, while it can be combative against Christianity, is not something you and I are meant to be afraid of. It's, it's something that we need to acknowledge and then be more bold and more courageous in our posture of love. To the world in response to God, to one another, and so that was a a reasoning for why I mentioned um, secularism and this distinction between secularization and secularism. And then lastly, um, a comment was made about world at risk. What do we do with the world at risk? And and in the sermon, I did touch on um, us being. Faithful disciples that we're not called to be evangelists of dogmatism, denominationalism, or decisionism, but we need to be uh, disciples who evangelize with our lives, who preach and participate in the inbreaking kingdom. And so, in a world at risk, uh, we can be pessimistic and say everything is burning in a handbasket. So. Uh, let's just sit back because we know we're saved. We can be optimistic um, and and there is room for optimism, but hope, I think, is our posture. Hope is so much more than optimism because we're not just happy-go-lucky and dandy and almost indifferent about the suffering of the world, but a hopeful posture is more than just wishful thinking, and oftentimes that's what optimism can be. I'm optimistic that it might happen, things might get better, and so it can be wishful thinking. It might it might not, but I think what Jesus calls to is, we might not be called to dogmatism, but we can be dogmatic about our hope. We can know that hope is not just wishful thinking or or fantasy, but hope is is a dogmatic assurance that what has been promised to us will be fulfilled. And we see that in Jesus, fulfilling uh, the hope of the Old Testament, of the patriarchs, of the prophets, of Israel. And so now when we look at the New Testament, we see that that is hope fulfilled and hope continuing to be fulfilled. So you and I don't have to be a soft optimists, but we can be dogmatic in our hope that God has come and he will come again to address this world at risk. And so those three things were some things uh, that that you villagers uh, commented on. And so I hope that this uh, Village Midweek Podcast, though it may be a bit denser, serves as a clarifying point, serves as an encouragement for all of us to dig deeper into what it is we believe and how it is we are to posture and be present in the world. As always... Uh, if you have any further questions or comments, feel free to email us at Tony at VillageBeaverton.com. It's been such a joy to be with you. And in the next couple of weeks, it may be just me uh, for the time being as, as our staff gets reacclimated. but I'm excited to bring back uh, the wonderful uh, people we have here to serve you, Village, uh, and and to be in consistent dialogue. So have a wonderful uh, week, and we look forward to seeing all of you at our weekend service. Until next time.